Welcome to the Raging Rhino podcast. This is podcast number 156. My name is John. So penniless for a dream. I hope we get by today. Last podcast, I talked about my mom's death. This remarkably patient woman who endured a lot of unnecessary shit in her life, including her occasionally ill-tempered youngest child, who now does this podcast, slowly deteriorated in front of my eyes the past few years as dementia took her mind away. There were times in those early years when the disease began to manifest where her memory lapses were disconcerting worrisome. There were times in the middle years when I wondered if the disease was affecting her personality or if it was simply allowing all her fears, disappointments, and frustrations that she had been suppressing to come out. As the disease progressed, I was more and more acutely aware her time on Earth was nearing the end. The final three months, as her mind fell away more and more, and she forgot who I was, and her body deteriorated to a point where she would no longer even get out of bed, I actually thought maybe it would be better for her to just die. Judge me if you feel you must about that. I know there are some who have, and certainly more who will. I stand by my feelings. I stand by my logic of wanting a person whose life has come to a point where the mind is lost and pain is all they know to pass so the horror and the suffering would mercifully end. The last time I saw her alive was something of a surreal experience because I had seen that night play out nearly 20 years before, except that time my grandmother was in the bed dying of dementia, and my mother was at her bedside talking to her, and I was behind my mother watching it play out kind of fearful of what that means for me in about 30 years. I had been mentally preparing to go through this for quite a while. From the first time her memory loss truly concerned the family to the final evening at her bedside, I've known for years that this day was coming. I'd known for months that it was likely coming soon. As I mentioned in my previous podcast, within moments of hearing she was gone, I wrapped myself in the comfort that her suffering was over. The event that I had been mentally preparing for in my mind, with full knowledge that it was coming, had finally arrived. There were tears. There was that feeling of loss deep in the pit of my stomach. 
There was the sorrow I knew would be there. On Christmas Day, the day after my mom died, Gina asked if we could watch A Christmas Story Christmas, the, the sequel to the movie. Neither of us knew the movie opens with the loss of a beloved parent. Gina looked at me with concern. I'm so sorry, I didn't know. I said it was okay. I think at that point I was still convinced I was handling things. As I expected, the sorrow would come and go like waves over the next several days. A memory of her would come to my mind and I would cry. I found the first stuffed animal I can ever remember having tucked away in a bedroom in the house. I cried. A song I've heard dozens of times in my playlist came on as I pulled into my garage at home, Fall Into Place by Apartment. It's one of those songs that seems upbeat but has a kind of a melancholy undercurrent to it. When the singer gets to the lyric, So mother... I hope that I will fall into place. I burst into tears. A memory, a word, a sound, a smell, anything would trigger it. I had time away from work. Five days. But with the holidays, it actually turned into a week and a half. So we took care of a lot of the heavy stuff like funeral arrangements, paying bills, disconnecting services. I felt it was helping me to cope to do these things. We started going through the massive layers of clutter in our house. I think I touched on some of that last podcast. I found that not only was she a pack rat, I, I wouldn't go so far as to call her a hoarder because you could easily move around the house, but she did like to keep so many little things that were tucked away all over the place. It was generations of my family who were pack rats. There were papers my great-grandfather had squirreled away, underneath papers my grandmother had squirreled away, underneath papers my dad had squirreled away, under what my mom had added to. In just the first few days, with the help of my wonderful wife, we accomplished so much, and tasks that first seemed overwhelming quickly felt at least manageable. I wrote and published my podcast about her. I cried. I mourned. I knew there would still be more tears and sorrow, but I felt I was managing it. My allotted bereavement time ended and I had to return to work. I was actually feeling good about all we had been accomplishing with the house and figuring out what to do with her property. I really wanted to tear into that a little bit more, but duty calls, so I took a deep breath, drove to work on a Wednesday morning, sat down at my desk to get the day started, and I could barely move. Part of my brain was aware of what I needed to do. I, I know this sounds kind of silly, but if you've ever seen the movie Bull Durham, where Kevin Costner's character is at bat, and he can't stop thinking about Susan Sarandon's character. And even though he's standing stoically in the batter's box, waiting for a pitch to be thrown, in his mind, he's screaming at himself. That's kind of what was happening to me. I sat in front of my computer, my hands 
at the keyboard and in my head, I'm screaming at myself, just type your fucking password. I finally get things started up and I begin my day. I start talking with clients over the phone and I think I'm getting my job done, but I'm having trouble concentrating. I finish my first call and I have to stop and think about what I had just done. It's like my mind was on autopilot and I'm interacting with people and getting what they need done, but I'm not retaining any memory of what I'm doing. I try to compose myself. I have a little inner pep talk and try again. And, but yet again in my head, I'm having to scream at myself to get back to work. Another interaction with a customer, and again, I, I simply cannot concentrate on my job. I get up, I go to the bathroom and splash some water on my face. Maybe a little cool water will help, I think to myself. Fortunately, I'm alone in the bathroom. Because after I dry my face, I take a look in the mirror. And I run into a stall. I close myself in. And tears just flood out of me. I have no idea what's happening to me. I've never felt that way before. I've never lost it like that. I've never felt so confused. I take a small amount of pride in my self-awareness. I thought I understood my situation. I thought I understood myself. I thought I was doing okay. I was wrong. I was lost in sorrow and it was affecting me in ways I didn't understand. I apologized to the manager on duty and I went home. I talked to my direct manager later that day and extended my bereavement for the rest of the week. I was in unfamiliar territory. I did not know what to do. I had to admit to something about my mental health that I never had to admit to before. Frankly, it scared me. I had to admit I couldn't do it on my own. I had to admit I needed help. I have Gina. I have a few sympathetic friends. But my problem is I'm not really much of a sharer. Yes, there is the irony of this podcast where I've talked about my personal feelings about politics, sexuality, religion, American culture. But that's completely different. I've said from the beginning that I'm not too concerned that anyone ever listens to me. In fact, I know of only one person who has ever acknowledged that they listened to an episode. That's why whenever he asked me to be on his podcast, I accept. Thanks, Christian. I can sit in front of a microphone for 13 years. Today's the podcast's 13th anniversary. And I spill out every thought I have. Inane or profound, tame or torrid, peaceful or raging. I record it, edit it, 
and put it up on a website where I'll bet 99.9% .9 of the traffic is from spam bots. But sit me in front of another person and my upbringing kicks in. Oh, I'm doing okay. How are you doing? Deflect from how I'm feeling. Let's talk about you instead. God damn it. I am my mother's son. I can't turn to my loved ones about this because I don't need someone who's just going to hold me and comfort me. I want someone to hold me and comfort me, but that's not what I need. I need an unbiased person who knows nothing about me to give me guidance and advice. I need a professional. I looked at my company benefits and sought out a bereavement counselor. It was the first time I had spoken with any type of counselor since the 15-minute meeting with my guidance counselor back in high school. The highlight of that session was when I talked about my love of comic books and wanted to become a comic book artist, and she replied with, so, what, you're going to spend your life in starving artist shows? Well, I guess that's better than spending my life in public education mocking children's dreams. I knew, at least, that now I'd be dealing with a professional who will keep an unbiased opinion and help me learn to understand and come to terms with what I'm feeling. I do find it amusing that the counselors my company uses are through Walmart. I didn't even know they had services like that. Don't get me wrong, I love Walmart. I, I go pretty often to get certain things at prices that I just won't get elsewhere. Gina signed up for Target's card that links to your debit card or bank account so she gets 5% off all purchases. Well, Walmart still beats their prices most of the time, but are hardly known for high-quality merchandise. I mean, I shop there for inexpensive everyday items. I certainly would never consider them for psychological counseling. And I will also be perfectly honest that the only reason I chose the counselor I did was because she was the only one available for an appointment before I had to go back to work again. Just needed someone to talk to, and she just happened to be the only one there. I don't know how many people remember the first episode of the original Night Court series, but Harry Anderson's character, Judge Stone, was appointed judge because a lame duck politician was trying to pack the courts with his list of judges, and Stone was the only one who was home to answer the phone. My kind of comedy. So I was desperately looking for a grief counselor to talk to, and she was literally the only one on the list. Doesn't sound promising, does it? It's um, worrisome, especially for someone like me who's never sought professional counseling before. I was nervous, but I knew I needed that blank slate outsider to talk to. And that being said, I will gladly say she was extremely helpful. Part of me feels a little proud that I was already doing some things, I don't want to say right, because not every tactic is going to work for every person, 
but there were certainly things that I was doing that were helpful for my personal healing. See, I would have feelings that were affecting me, like the incident I mentioned when I first tried to go back to work, but the problem was I would quickly try to push those feelings aside, almost punishing myself for not being able to just get over and get back to work. I've long been someone who compartmentalizes things. Maybe everybody does that to a certain extent. But I've talked earlier about times in my life when I was almost two different people. I was in one setting with certain people. I was one type of personality. But get me into another particular setting with other certain people, and that's completely different. I've talked about this long ago, and I've touched on it occasionally throughout the years, but when you grow up in a family trying to raise you in fundamentalist Christianity, and you're also struggling with your bisexuality, you learn to be the sweet little Christian boy when the church people are around. Old habits die hard. I work, therefore I can't be the grieving son. Those have to be two separate things. Actually, I can work and grieve, and I should, and that's what I learned. There's nothing wrong with stepping away for a few moments and allowing myself to feel the sorrow when it comes, let it out, and bring myself back to composure. I wanted to work, but I needed to grieve. I was too busy trying to fight the feelings that I basically prevented myself from properly doing either of them. The counselor suggested not only that I accept the feelings as they come, but before starting work, and any time I feel the emotions beginning to become too much, that I proactively try to bring out those emotions. So on the next Monday when I went back to work, got there a little early, I listened to Fall Into Place, I thought about my mom, and I brought out the tears. It helped me settle for a while, enough to keep me focused. And I followed a similar practice ever since. Of course, I also seem to be talking to a lot of clients in the past couple of months who have loved ones with dementia. I could hear the same fear in their voice I felt the past couple of years watching my mom deteriorate. A few times we talk about it for a moment or two and I share what I'd gone through and try to encourage them even as tears pour down my face. Most times I could sense that they were crying as well. I think the biggest thing for me was spending the time to write my mother's eulogy for her memorial service. It was the first time in nearly 20 years I stood up in front of a group of people in a church to deliver a speech. I tried to create something that would make her smile, and I think I succeeded. Just before my turn to speak, they read the 23rd Psalm, which I read at her bedside the last night of her life. So I had an emotional gut punch just before getting up in front of dozens of people. It wasn't easy. There were times when I was speaking that I could feel the tears beginning to swell. But I made it through the speech and sat down. After sitting down, they sang a hymn, and I tried to sing along with everyone else. 
but it didn't take long before the emotions finally overwhelmed me, and I just put my head down and sobbed uncontrollably. Gina grabbed my hand and held it tight. I remember the last night at my mother's bedside. I held her hand and I said, I understand if you need to let go. Be at peace. I think with the eulogy, it was almost like she was saying to me, it's okay to let go. I am at peace. Before I close this episode, I would like to share my eulogy with you. Not just because it was a big step with helping me process my grief, but because I want you to know just a little bit more about her and what she meant to me. In San Francisco, if you take a trip into Chinatown, then go down the right street, then bravely walk down the right alley, and then through the right door, you'll find something you've probably never seen before. Two little old ladies hand-wrapping freshly baked fortune cookies. Now, you're probably used to fortune cookies that taste somewhere between graham crackers gone wrong and lightly sweetened cardboard. But these are actually quite good. Buy a bag or two. They happen in chocolate. These little old ladies work with a simple rhythmic skill that is fascinating to watch. But you have to know which door, in which alley, in which street to find them. You never know where you're going to find little old ladies practicing finely honed skills, creating something special. For instance, up until a few months ago, if you went to Donaldson Avenue, walked up to the right house, and knocked on the right door, you would have found a little old lady sitting in her chair, crocheting, with a steady, rhythmic skill, filling up half her sofa with dozens of samples of her work. The only thing she loved more than making them was seeing them go into the hands of others. You could probably even ask her right then and there if she would make you something. And she would look for a pattern of whatever you wanted and sometime in the near future you would have a duck or a doll or even a little rhinoceros.
the image of those dolls and animals on that couch have occupied my thoughts as I struggled with what to say today. I realized I've been thinking too much of these final few years when her body and mind deteriorated. And that's just not fair. Whether they're folding fortune cookies or crocheting a four-foot-tall rainbow-colored rabbit, every little old lady has a story. A long road traveled. I don't know if there's a way to sum up her story, but I would say the example of her life was that she endured until her mind would no longer let her. When her dad punished her for challenging the preacher at her church, she endured. When her husband injured himself, she went to work to be the breadwinner of the family. She endured. When her husband's health began to fail, she took care of him until he passed. She endured. When her mother and her daughter passed away within days of each other, she endured. It most certainly took its toll on her. It, it had to have. Not that she would ever really admit to it. You see, I could tell you about all the times she encouraged me when I doubted myself. I could tell you about all the times she encouraged others, helped others, comforted others. I could be up here for hours recounting stories. But I could count on one hand and have fingers left over the number of times she showed real vulnerability to me. Oh, you don't have to worry about me. I'm doing okay. Now, if I pressed her on the matter, oh, just stop it. I'm fine. Can't say I always agreed with my mother. There were times, particularly in the waning years, when we butted heads. She was flawed, as we all are. She would be very upset with me if I tried to tell you she was anywhere close to perfect. She could be a handful. There was um, stubbornness about her, bordering on ornery. Or, as my aunt so bluntly put it recently, nobody told Anne what to do. Well, everyone has their perspective. My aunt got to see a much different part of my mother's life than I ever did. Aunt Peg knew her as an obstinate little sister in their youth and a delightful travel companion in their later years. Surely each of you has seen a part of her that I have never seen. Know things the rest of us don't know. Have impressions of her that may even surprise us. And indeed, you are absolutely welcome to share them with us today. Certainly, I have seen part of her life you have never seen. 
we need to take those memories to create the vision of her in our mind. Sorry, Aunt Peg. But there were people who told Anne what to do. Her boss, she was a loyal employee. He knew he could rely on her to go that extra mile for the customers. So when her boss found out she was taking the bus to get to work, he gave her a company truck to commute until she got a car of her own. He didn't do that for just any employee. Her husband? For better or for worse, she was a dutiful wife. Well, for the most part. She learned how to maneuver him to her way of thinking. But those are stories for another time. And her faith. Her faith told her what to do. Now, this especially is the part where some of you know things I don't. She was 31 years into her life before I came along. I have no idea what she was like before then. I just remember her telling me proudly, you were born on a Sunday at 7.53 in the morning, and the next Sunday I had you with me in church. The mother I knew tried to be the best person she could be. Not always succeeding, but trying. And in the end... That's all any of us can do. She tried to teach me to believe in myself, even when I was riddled with self-doubt. She taught me to unapologetically stand for what I believe in, even when pretty much everyone else stands against me. She taught me to focus on beauty in a sometimes ugly world. To savor the moments of joy. And she taught me to love others. Now, I said at the beginning of this that I didn't want to focus on her waning years, but there is one story I just have to tell you. I took her to HEB just up the road from here a few months back. We were walking through the produce section. Just up the aisle, was a woman having a quiet but serious talk with who we assumed was her teenage son, who seemed very angry. And as we got closer to them, he stormed away from her, leaving the woman with a sad, weary look on her face. My mom walked right up to her and said, you look like you could use a hug. She said, Yes, ma'am, I do. My mom put her arms around this stranger and hugged her tight for a few seconds. And afterwards, the woman, wiping a tear from her eye, said, Thank you. I needed that. My mom simply smiled and said, You're welcome. And went back to shopping. I can tell you this for certain. No matter how long you knew her, or under what circumstances, she loved you. 
even if you never met her. She loved you. And I know this not just because of that little vignette in the grocery store, but because when she and I talked, whether it was a routine phone call or a deep conversation over dinner or in one of those rare, vulnerable moments, she told me so. She made it very clear she loved you. So take that love, whether it be as someone who has known her for over half a century, someone who only knew her as that little old lady crocheting dolls, or someone who only knows of her from what we say about her today. Take that love, grow it in your heart, and give it to others. I can think of no better way to honor her memory. Thank you. I think if mom had heard that, she would have been modest, but honored. Writing the eulogy, this and the previous podcasts, simply being open about my grief instead of trying to convince everyone that I'm fine have been instrumental in coming to terms with the loss of my mom. The tears still come, but I don't deny them. They'll continue to come from time to time, because that is what grief does. I won't try to hide it. I won't be ashamed of it. I'm not all right, but I'm getting there. One last thing, and sorry to be a little cryptic, but you know how they say money changes people. And you know how in the aftermath of a death, there is often contentiousness over what the deceased expressly stated versus what the survivors believe they have a claim to. Given the darkness that I know is there, I just want it on record that if something bad happens to me in the near future, please make sure the police know to look into my brother. This is the Raging Rhino Podcast. You'll hear from me again.